Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Numbers chapter 10, verse 29. And Moses said to his brother-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. God is good, and you say, Oh, that's not good enough. That that doesn't sound convincing to me at all. Right, it must be convincing. God is good all the time. Do you really believe that? That God is good. That God is good all the time. That God is good regardless the circumstances. Is God good even when adversities abound? Numbers 11 verse 1 says, And the people complain in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Is God good even when adversities abound? Is God good even when certain provisions are lacking, you experience shortages. Numbers 11, verse 4 to 6. Now the rebel that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, and the chakwetiao. Oh no. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this mana to look at. Is God good even when certain provisions are lacking or when you experience shortages in life? Is God good even when the going gets tough? Numbers 11, verses 11 to 15. Moses this time, Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favour in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favour in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Is God good even when a going gets tough? 
Is God good even when perceived unfairness is felt? This time, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Is God good? Even when perceived unfairness is felt. Is God good all the time? Think about that. Has God promised good to Israel? What answer do you think the generation that came out of Egypt will give to that question? Today we come to Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 to 33. Let us look at Numbers chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles there so that as I read it, you can follow along. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow along in the same version or in the version of your choosing. Numbers chapter 13. Let me read the first three verses. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So first, we have the reconnaissance. The reconnaissance. The commander-in-chief, the Lord, instructs his army to send out spies to conduct a military exploration of enemy territory, to collect military intelligence. This survey of the land seems, at first glance, seems nothing more than a basic military strategy employed by armies both modern and ancient. To prepare for battle, you need to know your battleground. The names of the spies, one from each tribe, are listed in verses 4 to 16. These 12 men are the eyes of Israel. Through them, the people of Israel will see the land of Canaan. Verse 17, let me go on. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Moses conducts an operation briefing for the spies. 
they are to go up into the Negev and then into the hill country, travelling from south to north, traversing regions later known in New Testament times as Judah, Samaria and Galilee. The military intelligence Moses sought includes the following. On land, whether the land is good or bad, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. And then on the enemy, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. But I want you all to notice one thing as you read down that list of questions that Moses has. At the heart of Moses' instructions to the spies, right at the centre, is that question, is it good or bad? Is it good or bad? Now, I believe there is more to the question that meets the eye. Whether Israel realises it or not, behind this question is a more fundamental question, and it is this question. Is God good or bad? Is God good or bad? Let's go on. Verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamak. They went out into, into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Sheshai, and Tamai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years later before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshko and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshko because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. The spies carried out Moses' instructions to the letter. From south to north, there and back, a round trip of 40 days. Now, particulars of that journey were largely left unmentioned, except for two facts. Firstly, there are two place names, Hebron and the Valley of Eshkol. Hebron, answering the question whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. The Valley of Eshko, answering the questions whether the land is good or bad, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. And all of us know from reading this passage, from that valley they brought some of the fruit of the land, grapes, pomegranates, and figs. Secondly, there are three people names, Aheman, Seshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, answering the questions whether the people are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. The twelve spies are the eyes of Israel. How they see will impact how the rest see. How they answer those questions will determine the fate of the entire nation. 
Now, outwardly, the reconnaissance seems nothing more than an exploration. But in reality, I suggest it is actually an examination. Later on, in Deuteronomy, this is what Moses said. Later on, chapter 8, verse 2, this is what Moses said. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you will keep His commandments or not. Now, initially, the spies think that it is merely nothing more than a military exploration of the land. Well, it is a good thing to do. You need to know the better ground. But I suggest to you, the real reason behind it is God's examination of their heart and of their faith, of how they see and what they conclude. So my first sermon point poses this query. What do you see? Where you are right now? As God sent you to various places, you know, I believe God leads His people into all sorts of places. He puts them sometimes through distressing situa situations. He drops them into difficult terrains. He tries them with fiery trials. He afflicts them with sudden hardships. He causes them to suffer lack. Verse 3, Deuteronomy chapter 8, just the following verse says this, And He humbled you and let you hunger. Do you see that? He let His people hunger. When they go three days without water, He let them be thirsty. This is the Word of God. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Remember the long list of things they want from back in Egypt? The Lord said, actually, you don't need them. What you really need is the word from my very mouth. That is what life is really all about. Listening to that word. Eating that word. Living on that word, trusting that word, that is the word that will make you live. That is the word that will satisfy. That is the word that will ensure that life goes on for you. God humbles His people in order to test them. Israel's exploration of the hinterland is actually God's examination of their heartland. What is really going on inside here? You know, when God looks down, when I look at you, I only see you outwardly. You can display to me a lot of outward actions that impresses me, like coming early to church, like paying careful attention to the sermon, like opening your Bibles, you know, reading along with me. All this you can do. But you know one thing I can't see? I can't see what's really going on inside here. So you can impress me, but you may not impress the Lord. Because when God looks at you, He doesn't look outwardly. He looks inside, into the darkest corners of your life. And He will know exactly what is going on there. That is what God is trying to teach His people. When God asks, what do you see? How you answer that question sometimes will reveal what is in your heart. 
how you react to those situations sometimes bring out clearly for the first time what is really there. You know, when things are good, everything is rosy, everything is comfortable. You get everything you need, everything you want. Your wildest dreams is all met. Usually, you can hide your heart very well, but the moment he drops you into difficult situations, uh, that's where, that where your true self reveals itself. Right? Every single time, when God drops us into difficult situations, it's not to cause us harm, it's to reveal to us, this is how you really are. And then when you see ourselves, or when we see ourselves the way God sees us, and we do not like what we see, we can come to the Lord and say, Lord, help me, change me, change my heart. Give me the kind of heart after your very own heart, a heart that will please you. You know, most of you are familiar with the episode of Peter walking on water. The boat the disciples were in was battered by the waves. The wind was against them. Difficult situation. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Peter requested to go to Jesus on the water. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And then Matthew chapter 14, verse 30 says this, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sing, he cried out, Lord, save me. Here's the question again. What did Peter see? Do you know there are two things there he can place his, his, his eyes on? One is the waves. He, he saw the raging waves. We don't doubt that. He saw the roaring wind. That is true. He saw the restless waters. That is why they are battered again by the waves. He saw how bad things were. But do you know there's someone else there? Jesus. When we fall into situations like that, uh, we always have a choice. We can look at the bad situation and say, Oh no, Saula, die, gone, panic, anxious, angry on whatever other emotions that afflict us during such time, or we can fix our eyes on Jesus. The following verse says this, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Consider where you are now. The Lord has placed you there. What do you see? How, how you answer that question will reveal more about your heart than anything else. You know, I've, I have a chance to talk to many people, not just in this church, but elsewhere as well, sometimes even my neighbours. And I realise a lot of times when they share with me about certain difficult situations they are in, and they describe to me as best as they can, and when they even at times was vulnerable enough to reveal their emotions to me, it actually tells me a lot more, not about the situation, but how they are really feeling inside. I'm scared. I'm really, really scared. 
or I'm helpless. No one, no one really cares. Let's go on. Verse 26. And it came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought that word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwelt in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live, dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So first, there's the reconnaissance. What do you see? Second, the report. The spies return from their survey. They report to the whole community what they had seen. Now, concerning the land, they say, good. They brought back some of the fruit of the land. Concerning the enemy, they say, bad. Now, before we fought them too much, this is actually an accurate report. The land is flowing with milk and honey. It is good. It is rich. It, in it are trees that bear good fruit. The enemy, on the other hand, include the dreaded descendants of Anna. They are strong. They are many. Their cities are fortified. There is nothing wrong with the eyes of the spies. They observe truly. And then, let's look now at verse 30, all the way to 33. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the man who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, Oh, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. Caleb agrees with the report, the original report. Land, very good, good. Enemy, bad. But for him, that isn't an insurmountable problem. He believes that they are able to occupy the land and overcome the enemy. So the second sermon point addresses this query. What do you say to what you see? You can see accurately with everybody else, but what do you say to what you see? You see, the 12, the 12 spies agree on what they saw, but they don't agree on what they ought to say. Caleb says this, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the others, with the exception of Joshua, says, We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So one moment they gave to Moses the report, land good, enemy bad, but when they turned to the people, in order to influence the people, they changed their report. They gave a bad report instead. 
The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. The problem isn't their eyes, but their hearts. It isn't about seeing. It's about believing. What the spies say reveal their true spiritual condition. Sadly, 10 of them operate from fear. So they revise their report. The enemy is still bad, no change, but now they revise their report. But now the land is also bad. But we have read many times over in Numbers, even before, this is the land that God gave. This isn't the land that Israel decided, uh, let, let's go there. Again and again, even originally back to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then on to the 12 patriarchs, and then onward, God say, this is the land I swore to give to your fathers and to their children. If the land is bad, what does that say about God? Do you know what they are really saying about God? You know, here are some characteristics of those who operate from fear. They live by sight. They say, what I see is more important. Seeing is believing. We are grasshoppers before giants. They get easily anxious, upset, angry. Circumstances overcome them. They offer God only lip service. They conclude, maybe not publicly, but in here, they conclude God is bad. Moses had earlier warned, Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, For what are we that you grumble against? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. You know, once you peel away the surface complaints, you'll find the real hidden cause behind them, a deep dissatisfaction with God, a deep disbelief. You know, each time we grumble about something or someone, we are really grumbling against God. Do you know that? It has to be, because God is sovereign over all things. Consider Job. He lost his family, his property, his health. His friends were no comfort to him. Now, Satan was directly responsible for his plight. But God permitted it because God is sovereign. God permitted it. We know that. We read the first two chapters. God permitted it. If not, Satan cannot do anything against Job. If God say no, Job complained to God and about God even. Before it got out of hand, God had to intervene. However righteous Job was, he still had to despise himself and repent in dust and ashes at the close of his story. Job chapter 42, verse 6. 
grumbling is indeed a deadly disposition. You can't say, I only grumble what? No harm done. Israel grumbled and great harm came upon them. You see, left unchecked and uncorrected, grumbling can lead to disastrous consequences as the following chapter in Numbers 14 reveals. Brothers and sisters, I remind myself, I remind all of you this morning as well, God looks at your heart. You can never bluff Him what is really going on inside there. You can bluff me every time, but you can never bluff God any time at all. He knows exactly what is going on. And when you grumble the next time, it may not be directly to Him, but you grumble about something or someone, be careful. That something or someone could be God placing it in your very presence to test and to humble you and to see what is really going on inside your heart. Why does he want to do that? He wants to reveal it to you so that you can say, as Peter said, when he noticed, Lord, save me. Left unchecked and uncorrected, grumbling can lead to disastrous consequences, as we will soon find out in the following chapter. Only two of the spies operate from faith. That is why I titled my sermon Minority Report. Yes, I'm aware it is a, it's a movie with the same title. There's a movie with the same title starring Tom Cruise. I'm aware. Yes, I'm aware that in the story, a minority report was, was offered but in, completely ignored. Yes, I'm also aware that some of you have absolutely no idea what I was talking about. It's okay. Minority report. Well, I'm a movie buff. Now, here are some characteristics of those who operate from faith. Compare. They live by faith. They say what I believe is more important. Believing is seeing. Giants are grasshoppers before God. They are full of peace calm, joy. They overcome circumstances because they are overcomers in the name of Jesus Christ. They worship God wholeheartedly. They conclude God is always good all the time, every time, in all circumstances. God is good. Bad situation, God is good. Terrible situation, God is still good. I mean, terrible pain, God is still good. Never once will they grumble against the Lord because they believe that God is always good and God, even in the deepest darkness, will never sought to harm them, only to humble and test them and to show them what is in your heart. And God is able, always able, in the last day to rescue you and completely, completely re reward you for your faith in Him. Trust Him to do that for you. So to which, which side do you lean? Honestly. Ask your loved ones. Hey, when you look at me, right, and when you, when you notice that I, I encounter various kinds of situations at home, in a neighborhood, or at work, uh, and you hear me talk about it, uh, if I ask you, uh, place me on either side, 
Where will you place me? Ask. Oh, I notice you tend to always operate from fear. You always panic. You always try to, try to control things. Or do you operate from faith? The first thing you do is you go to God. Lord, I need your help here. And Lord, thank you that because I ask, your help is already available. And then boldly go to face whatever situation God drops you in. The Bible is clear on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. All of us know this. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, those who walk by faith are few and far between. They look at things differently. They set their minds on things above. They serve this age, but live for the next. They have this distant look in their eyes. They see something most people don't. What do they see there? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's who they see all the time. If you ask them this question, what do you see? They'll say, Jesus. And then you ask them, what do you say to what you see? They will say, he's the author and perfecter of my faith. He is always good. He will never give me a stone when I ask for bread. He will never give me a serpent when I ask for fish. He will never give me a scorpion when I ask for eggs. You know, I, I realized over the years, as I walk with the Lord, there are certain things I ask for, He does not give, and I wonder why. You know why? Very simple, because what I asked for was actually a stone, a serpent, and a scorpion. What I don't know. A good father will never give those to you. So sometimes I get angry. God, why never give me this? God, in his wisdom, over time, many years later, say, why would I want to give you something that hurt you and will harm you? No. So when God says no to you, it doesn't mean that he is depriving you. It could be delivering you from the thing you ask and because you have no idea how that thing is actually bad for you. Do you trust him that he's always good? Can you say this with the psalmist? Chapter, Psalm 16, verse 2. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So let me pose those two questions again. What do you see right now? What do you say to what you see? The Bible teaches us very clear. Say this, God is good. God is so, so good. God is good all the time. God is good all my life. I have more to say in my next sermon, but for the moment, let me stop here. Let's bow our heads. Let's thank the Lord. Let me give you a moment to speak to the Lord personally. Share with Him your troubles, but trust His heart. He will never, ever do anything to hurt you or harm you. Yes, the situation is bad. You can label it as bad, but He's always good. And he can turn what is bad good for you if you trust him completely 
totally with all your heart. Can I invite the worship team forward? Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I'm absolutely certain, Heavenly Father, that in the days ahead, a lot, some of them will face very trying circumstances. Perhaps some of them are deep in it right this very moment. Or some of them are recalling a past pain that has tried them so very much. And Lord, their question to them is the question you leave to the spies as well. What do you see? Tell me, what do you see? But that's not the only question the Lord asks of His people. What do you say to what you see? For how we answer that question, Lord, I know. How we truly answer that question, even when no one is around, reveals our heart. Do we truly trust you? Or are we only giving you lip service of faith? Do we truly fear you? Or we fear everything else? Do we believe that you are all good all the time, all our life? Or you are only sometimes good, but bad a lot of times? Lord, forgive us. For all of us are guilty, everyone, including me. Over many episodes in our life where we actually think that you meant us harm, that you are not so good. Forgive us, O Lord, for doubting your goodness. We see this in the Israelites when they doubt that a good God will bring them into the good land. They see only bad and brought a bad report back. What do we see, O Lord? What kind of report should we bring back to our families, to the church? to our friends, to our neighbours, because many of them will see the same thing we see. But what do we say to what they see will depends on who we really follow and who we fix our eyes on. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they learn to fix their eyes on Jesus, to believe His Word, to go to His Word again and again, to hear what Jesus has to say to them. And there are many great and wonderful promises in His Word, O oh Lord, that they can trust completely and totally because God will not fail to meet a single promise that He has given to His people. So thank you, Lord, for, for encouraging us, yes, even correcting us, and to, and to help us to see that You are so, so good, good all the time, good all my life. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And let the people of God say, Amen.